Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chance to be gathered with your people, to sing praises to you, to exalt your name, to to hear your word, to meditate on your word, to meet you at the table. Lord, what a gift, what a grace that is to us. So we do pray, Lord, that through the reading of your word, through our meditating on your word, Holy Spirit, you would come and be present among us. You would change us, transform us, challenge us, fill us with your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining in. Um, Well, I grew up uh, in the hills of Mississippi. And that's right, I didn't expect to get an amen from that. There we go. And then I went to college uh, in the Mississippi Delta. No amens about that. And I spent a few years after that living in Memphis, Tennessee. One thing that's true of all of these places, Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta, Memphis, Tennessee, is that music is a significant part of the culture. I would say especially about the Mississippi Delta and Memphis, Tennessee, that, that you can almost feel it, like it's the heartbeat of the place, like it's in the soil. And so that brings up a question that I've, I've considered from time to time. The question is, is it the place that shapes the music, or is it the music that shapes the place? Is it the place that shapes the music, or is it the music that shapes the place? So as you probably know, The great music that we call the blues was born in the Mississippi Delta out of the oppression and poverty in the African-American community in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And then that music made its way up to Memphis where it was commercialized and the innovation that we now know, know as rock and roll was created and that literally changed the world. So I think it's true both ways. People and place shape the music And music shapes people in place, and music shapes the world. One thing that I love about our Bible is that our Bible has in it a a huge songbook, the songbook of God's people, the Psalms. This book contains 150 songs and poems that were written by God's people in particular places, in particular times, that were birthed out of the people and the place under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that the Psalms beautifully expresses the heart of God's people. And this book of Psalms has gone on to shape generations and generations and will continue to shape generations and generations of God's people. People and music, people in place shape the music and the music shapes people and place. So this morning we read Psalm 96, a psalm that is overflowing with praise and worship for God. It's done my heart good this week as I've meditated on this psalm, so I want to do so for a few minutes with you all this morning. Now we see a version of this psalm show up in in 1 Chronicles 16 when David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and that alerts us to the fact that some of the refrains we see in Psalm 96 were words that God's people were singing regularly. They were the heartbeat of the people in place. They were woven deeply into the culture, in the soil, we could say. So there are a few themes here in Psalm 96 that were a part of the soil of God's people. 
that were written on their hearts and that have shaped God's people for generations and generations. So I want to point out three of those themes. I'm proud of myself because they all rhyme and start with the same letter, which is like the ultimate preacher win. Um, So the three themes that I want to point out and reflect on with you are adoration, acclamation, and anticipation. Adoration, acclamation, and anticipation. First, the most prominent feature that we see in Psalm 96, I believe, is adoration. It's the first thing you notice. It sort of jumps off the page at you. The, the psalmist is, is gushing with love and adoration and praise for God. Look at God. He is infinitely worthy of your adoration and worship. Just, just listen to the psalmist adoring God. Let me summarize some of his words for you. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. The Lord made the heaven. He's not like the idols of your day, which are powerless. God, the Lord, is infinitely powerful. Just look at creation. Behold creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Who is like our God, who made heaven and earth? He's all-powerful, creative, good, filled with splendor and majesty and beauty and strength. He's the all-glorious one, gloriously holy. Behold him and tremble. All you peoples, all the earth. It's the Lord who's in charge. He's the king. He rules and reigns over all things. He holds the world in motion. He holds it all together. And unlike any other kings or rulers, God is just and fair and righteous and good and true. The sea and the field, the sea creatures, the trees, they will all behold God and sing with joyful praise. Behold God and sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Bless his name. Wow. Let let me ask you a question. And you can be honest. Is that the song that you wake up in the morning with it on your lips? Is that sort of joy and praise and adoration gushing from you when you wake up in the morning? I'll answer for me personally, and the answer for me is, not most days. So here's the deal with adoration. Sometimes adoration just just comes from you. You can't can't help it. Have you ever had those moments like you're just filled with adoration and love for God, and it just overflows out of you? Unfortunately, I think those moments are, for most of us, the exception, not the norm. Hopefully, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we're being more and more sanctified to be like Jesus, and this becomes more and more the norm, but for most of us, this is the exception, not the norm. So I grew up, like I said, in Mississippi. My dad works in the um, wholesale grocery distribution business. So when I, was, when I was a small kid, he had, this is every kid's dream, he sold cookies and candy. Come on. And so I would, uh, during school breaks, during the summer and during Christmas break, I would um, drive along with my dad, and, and he'd take me to, to work with him, to, to help him. Now that I have kids of my own, I sort of see what was going on there and realize I probably wasn't a lot of help. And so I would remember during, during Christmas break on cold winter mornings, uh, he drove a big diesel truck filled with cookies. And I would remember getting into the truck early, early on a cold winter morning and just having to wait for that diesel engine to warm up. 
And sometimes that's, most of the time, that is what our heart is like. Our heart is like a, a diesel engine on a cold winter morning that just needs some time to warm up. And this is one reason that I'm so glad the Psalms are in our Bible. The Psalms help us recalibrate our hearts, redirect them to, towards the Lord, remind our hearts of God's infinite worthiness. And, and very practically, this is one reason why I love a big part of our Anglican tradition, which is, which is the daily office. Uh, morning prayer that's filled with psalms that recalibrates my heart and points my heart towards God so that I can find this sort of adoration stirring up in me. So adoration is the first theme that we see in Psalm 96. Secondly, adoration overflows into acclamation. Acclaiming, proclaiming, declaring God's goodness and glory to all the world. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Announce God's kingship, God's rule and reign to the world. Adoration overflows into acclamation. The psalmist here reveals this reality that's true of every human heart. You can't help but talk about what you love. That's true of you. That's true of me. You can't help but talk about what you love. Adoration overflows into acclamation. The flip side of this is true too. What you talk about reveals what you love, which can be convicting. What you talk about reveals what you love. So if you want to see what's close to your heart, just look at and consider your conversations. Look at your Facebook feed and all the things you're posting, the pictures you're posting on Instagram or the tweets you're sending out on Twitter, if you want to see what's close to your heart, look at your conversations. So I did this this week. I kind of did this personal inventory here. And I realized that what's close to my heart right now are my kids, which is good, and the Atlanta Braves, which is, um, there's nothing wrong with that except it can be uh, frustrating and keep you up late at night and stressed out. But... There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is convicting to me when I consider sometimes how little adoration of God overflows into acclaiming God. So my, my challenge for you is, is to simply grow in adoring God and let your adoration overflow into acclamation. Turn off your phone and look up at creation and behold the beauty, the majesty, the creativity of the Creator. Turn off the TV and sit in quiet and wait on the Lord. Close the computer and open up God's word and ask that he would meet you there. You acclaim what you love. So may we grow in adoration for God and may his adoration overflow into acclamation. Thirdly, anticipation. Even in the midst of such a joyful and celebratory psalm that's filled with adoration and acclamation, there's a hint of longing. There's a hint of anticipation. So listen to verses 10 through 13 again. The psalmist writes, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. 
Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. So the psalmist acknowledges that God is King right here and right now. The Lord reigns, the psalmist says. But the psalmist also looks forward to a day when God's kingdom is here in full, when God will one day judge the world rightly and justly and faithfully, when, to borrow words from St. Paul in Romans chapter 8, when creation no longer groans under the weight of sin, when creation itself is, is finally set right and creation itself shouts for joy when our Creator comes. Here's the reality that the psalmist alerts us to. When you're present in the world, and when you're present to your circumstances, you can't help but long, long for God to come and make all things right. But the psalmist doesn't long in despair. He longs in hope. He longs in hope. Surrounded by worship of false God, he, he longs and hopes and looks forward to the day when God comes and draws all nations to himself, the only true and living God. In the midst of injustice and unrighteousness, the psalmist longs and hopes for God to come and judge the world justly and righteously. And for the psalmist here, of course, God did arrive in the person of Jesus, God himself. Jesus is the Messiah, the one that God's people had been longing for, waiting for, the one that God's people had been anticipating. But we can, even after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can relate to the psalmist here, right? We join with the people of God throughout the ages, anticipating the return of Jesus. Jesus' kingdom has indeed been ushered forth through his life, death, and resurrection, but we wait for the promises of God to come true when Jesus returns and finally sets all things right. Like the psalmist, we're surrounded by worship of false gods. And we look forward to the day when Jesus comes and when every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're surrounded by injustice and unrighteousness. And we look forward to the day when God comes, the just, true, right King, and judges the world with righteousness. But like the psalmist, we don't long in despair, we long with great hope. So I think about last Christmas, uh, my son Graham is... He's five years old now. Last year, he was four at this time. And the thing that he so wanted for Christmas, the thing that he was filled with anticipation for, was a remote-controlled monster truck. He was so hoping for a remote-controlled monster truck. He was so anticipating. It was filled with longing and anticipation. But it wasn't longing and anticipation in despair. Why? Because he knows that he knows that we're good, right? And we love him. He knows mostly that his grandparents love him. <laughs> and he could trust that if he asks for a remote control monster truck, he will most likely get a big, awesome, maybe two remote control monster trucks. And he did. He got an awesome remote control monster truck. And so we too know that our Heavenly Father is good and loves us, and is true to his word. And one day our Savior and our Lord and our King Jesus will return. So for now, we join with the psalmist here 
and we adore God, and our adoration overflows into acclamation, proclaiming to all the world how good our God is. And we're filled with anticipation, waiting for the day when Jesus comes, and we spend eternity upon eternities adoring our God, seeing our Lord face to face. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for our hearts this morning that you would fill us with adoration, that we would see and behold you and you would stir up authentic and genuine and deep, deep worship in our souls that would overflow into acclaiming you, declaring how good you are to the world. We pray all this for the sake of, for the honor, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.